Blog Talk Radio. Hey, folks. Welcome back. This is State of the U Podcast. It's been a long time, but we're back on the air. And we have a special episode today that's going to be strictly about the University of Miami basketball. I've got several folks on the line today. I've got several folks I expect to be calling in. Uh, my name's Jerry Steinberg. I'm your host. And, hey, who do we have on the phone today? You got Charlie. Uh, Josh. Oh, Charlie. What's up, man? How are you? What's going on? Not much. And Josh, are you on? Josh yeah, Frank. On. Oh, it's Josh Frank, too. Wow, two Joshes. Are we going to do Josh and Josh K? We got a couple callers in. We got Josh Frank. We got Charlie Strouser. We got Josh Kaufman. And we have one of our newest members on, on State of the U, uh, Chris, who's going to be doing some writing for us for basketball. He's done a couple of nice articles. Uh, but I want to get right to it. Um, I'm going to get to everybody, but I want to start with Josh Frank on this one. Josh, I have two questions for you. One, given the run in the NIT, was the season a success? And two, was that a foul on that uh, call at the end of the game uh, with Ja'Shawn Randall and Devon Reed making the play on defense? Well, first I'll start and say that, uh, yes, I think the season was a success to a point. Um, I knew that a lot of people were going to because of the team, but I think I always saw as somewhat of a bubble team. It's very difficult to integrate some of these players. You obviously had some holes even when you're in full strength uh, in the front court and, and otherwise. So I never personally thought this was a team that was going to make, you know, a, a deep run into in the NCAA tournament. So what, the way I look at it is, you know, there were some disappointments and maybe we didn't reach our, the potential that we showed at certain points, but we made it to the NIT. We made it all the way to the final. We had three extra weeks of practice. We had five extra games to build on to this year. So from my perspective, it's a sense it would have been nice to have the banner to hang that we won the tournament or that we made the NCAAs. But it didn't help me. Secondly, no, I didn't believe that was an optional. You know, it's hard to see sometimes referees talking, and even with replays and slow motion, it's hard to simulate exactly what they're looking at in real time. But a player standing straight up with the, you know, an official calling from the baseline doesn't have a great view on it. I don't think you can make sense. I know other people are still angry about it three days later. I'm sort of over it, but not so. So, Josh, what you're what you're saying in a very polite way is Miami was robbed. I mean, if you want to look at it that way, I certainly think at that point in the game, uh, you can look at the situation before, and you could think what was in and maybe project the outcome um, differently. I certainly think there were some situations where. You know, we may have gotten some, I would say, perhaps favorable calls, you know, earlier on as we were making our comeback. But the difference to me was there's, you know, judgment calls as to the degree of contact, and then there's literally the spirit of the standing straight up, the player jumping into him, and where the referee was, what, you know, what he should have been able to see when he made the call. So, you know, we should have, we should stop. And hopefully next year we will stop putting ourselves in situations where we have to make furious comebacks and where we expend all sorts of energy playing close games that don't need to be close games. But if you want to say we were robbed, then, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly willing to get behind you. Well, well, thank you, Josh. That was a very forthright answer. 
Uh, I'm going to come back to you in a second. I, I want to talk to you about next year's team, but I want to get some of these other guys involved and, and get their opinions too. Uh, Chris Hayes, you're one of our newest members on State of the U. Uh, we thank you for coming aboard. Um, give me some of your – now, you wrote a pretty in-depth article with some final thoughts after a loss to Stanford, and you said the game was well-officiated uh, until the last minute of the game. Uh, give me your thoughts on that last call, and give me your thoughts as a whole on the run that the team made in the NIT. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, when it came to the game itself, I thought they did a really good job officiating through pretty much the first 40 minutes of it, maybe 38. Um, for me, and I always like seeing when refs kind of let uh, play happen, I think the game is more fluid. It doesn't stop. It lets kind of momentum uh, come and go, which is always great to see in basketball because it's such a fluid game. Um, and they were doing a great job of that. I mean, I thought it was pretty consistent both ways, um, other than a couple ticky-tack uh, Joe Thompson fouls here and there. But overall, did a good job. And then all of a sudden just seemed to – kind of get heavy on the whistle uh, in overtime to the point where we're just kind of, instead of calling what the consistent game they were doing, they were really uh, letting the game decide through their whistles, which, you know, was unfortunate. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, it was said earlier, just the fact that, you know, it's a, it's a close play. And I, and I do think we got some, got away with a couple calls on that comeback. I think uh, Sheldon McClellan had a couple fouls that were, uh, were, were kind of close. Uh, I wouldn't say that they were, uh, definitely fouls either way, but I mean, I could definitely see if you're a Stanford fan, you'd be upset. Um, but it was just kind of unfortunate at the end. That's that's kind of what it came down to was more of these foul calls and just letting the guys play, which to me was unfortunate to see because I thought both teams, uh, you know, Stanford played well at the beginning and Miami came back at the end, and to see it just kind of go down like that, which is unfortunate. I mean, I don't know. You, you even saw it last night in the Final Four game where you know almost too many whistles decided the game instead of the guys letting them play. So. It'd be nice to see the NCAA maybe uh, look into that and see how they can fix that in future uh, future tournament games. Um, and yeah, then I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a couple of uh, Kentucky fans out there that feel the same way that you're, <laughs> they kind of feel the same way after last night's game against Wisconsin. But that's a whole other topic for a whole other show. But go go ahead, Chris. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, talking about the NIT, I mean, I, I look at it a lot like kind of bowl practices and football and the fact of. You know, you get some extra practices, you get some time, you, you learn the tournament. And, I mean, I know we're going to talk about more about you know, looking on to next year, but you had a lot of young guys that were able to play uh, and get into a kind of a tournament form um, where, you know, they learn how to play in these type of games and these type of environments, especially playing in Madison Square Garden, you know, and uh, hopefully they can uh, translate that into more wins next year at some point. And for those who don't know, Chris Hayes is a former UM walk-on, so he knows a little bit about bowl practices. Um, so we appreciate yeah. your insight on that. I, I want to get to I Josh Kaufman. I know too much about bowl practices. <laughs> Josh, I want to I want to get uh, Josh Kaufman. Um, I, I remember last year after the first exhibition of his career, the first game of his career as a college player. Um, you told me you saw something special in Devon Reed. Um, do you still feel that way? Do you feel that way even more so after it's running the NIT? Give me your insight, because I thought you had some real good observations about Reed. Yeah, I've been I've been bullish on Devon Reed since uh, he first stepped on the court. I just like his uh, overall game. He's very versatile. He can do pretty much anything. He's almost like we talked about this before, Jay. He's like a like almost like a Salmons with a little more athleticism, perhaps. Um, but what I like to go about the run in the NIT is that. You know, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. But And I'm sorry to say this, but I know I might get some disagreement. But I think Angel Rodriguez going down with an injury actually helps this team next year. And I'll tell you why. 
I think uh, he was the highest volume shooter on the team. And without him in there, guys like Sheldon McClellan and Devon Reed had to step up and become the go-to guys. And I hope that continues over to next year. And I'm looking next year, I'm looking at Devon Reed and Sheldon McClellan taking the most shots, with Jakiri maybe third and Rodriguez coming in fourth. I'm a big fan of Rodriguez's floor game, but we needed the guys like Devon Reed and Sheldon McClellan to really step up and, and, and go to the rack and go to the rim and, and just try to take, take over games late in the game and not leave it up to just like really low percentage three-point chucks, if I could be so blunt. And, and that's, that's really what I think about this in IT run. I think it sets them up next year, giving them more options late in the game. You're not going to just see guys like winging shots from three. You're going to see guys like uh, big athletic, small forward, shooting guard types like McClellan or Reed driving to the basket. And I think that actually really helped Miami, even though if you listen to uh, a lot of sportscasts, Miami was like supposedly in the dumpster because uh, Angel wasn't out there. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I love Angel's floor game, but I want to see him be a five-assist-plus guy and, you know, maybe take six to eight shots if he's hot, you know, Double-digit shots could happen every couple of games, but I, I'm with you on the McClellan and Reed thing. We talk about this a lot. I think they got to be option one A and one B. Uh, I want to bring Charlie in. Charlie's been waiting patiently while we all talk. Charlie, uh, give me your thoughts one on the team with Angel Rodriguez, without them, and just your overall observations of the NIT run. Well, it, you know, it was interesting. The you know being live at MSG this week was was phenomenal. I mean, it was, it was great to see the team you know live again, and it's you know, kind of a treat for me to kind of get those extra games, you know, just having those extra five games, you think about that's an extra 200 minutes available to these guys, not including practices, just in, you know, live bullets, you know. And they think about, you know, the crowd that we had at Madison Square Garden for that championship game. I mean, it was, it was an amazing thing to see how many Canes fans were there and how loud they got and how supportive they were. And hopefully that, that can continue again. You're kind of going into next year, and maybe we can get some uh, some games scheduled up here again too to get some of the New York alumni base involved like they were. But that's number one. Number two, I think when you look at the season, you know, as as it was, and, you know, there was clearly you know a couple of games that you know we we definitely slept on and came back to bite us in the butt uh, in terms of making the tournament. But I think when you look at the overall, you know, and I think Josh you know touched upon this at the beginning, but you look at the overall season and you look at our record and who we beat and who we, you know, who we played close, et cetera. I think it was a pretty good season. I think, you know, it's kind of where I expected it to be. I felt like, you know, this could be a 2021 season, 21 uh, regular season win kind of a year. It was, um, I thought we'd be on the bubble. We were, um, but I thought, at, you know, at the end of the day, we'd, we'd make it in, but just uh, a couple of things just didn't fall our way, unfortunately. But I think going into next year, um, we've got a great base, and the, the one thing you guys forget to talk about too, in terms of you know who could be the leading scorers, I think Kamari Murphy could actually be a, quite a uh, quite a big contributor as well uh, going into next season too. So, so one I, thing I, I wanted, so just one yeah, thing I wanted to jump in on about next year, um, and Josh Kay talked about the situation with Angel. One thing that I've heard over the last few years uh, since we got Totel is that he tends to rely and maybe over-rely on um, experienced players and upperclassmen. We heard that starting back with Malcolm Grant, who, you know, had extenuating circumstances but struggled a lot his senior year. What I'm hoping 
um, we see next year is not necessarily, you know, a short leash or, or anything um, in, in that manner, but that he has more confidence in the consistency of the players off the bench, the players who grew up in the NIT, like Newton, you know, Burnett to some extent, Reed, et cetera, so that if a guy like Angel or Sheldon, who are absolutely seniors and team leaders, you know, are struggling, we don't basically ride them, um, you know, into the depth, that we can sit them down and have confidence in other players to lead the team until they get back to their regular form. And I do think we'll see that. Now, Josh, you brought up a good point. You want to, I want to ask you about this. I, I, I'm going to stick with you for a second here because I know you got limited time and I want to get your insight before you got to dial out. Uh, you talked about leadership. Now, early in the season, it seemed like the unquestioned leader of the team was Adriel Rodriguez. But during the NIT run, I noticed that Devon Reed was especially vocal. And then in that championship game, and it was kind of odd considering he was coming off a concussion, uh, Tanya Jakiri was really active on the bench, you know, talking to Joe Thomas, talking to, you know, Shelton McClellan, talking to anybody who would listen. Do you think there's a shift a little bit in the leadership of this team? Do you think Reed and, and Jakiri are the true leaders, or do you think Angel will fall back into that role next year? Well, I'll certainly start by saying that I'm not around the team enough to say, you know, who is or isn't a, a true leader. I do think that in some respects, um, you know, Angel had to cede that a bit just going towards the end of the year because he wasn't on the court. And you can be a leader, you can be vocal, you can encourage your teammates, but at a certain point, if you're not playing, you know, they might look elsewhere for, um, you know, inspiration or, or um, you know, with Jutiri, I think that in some respects, because he has the floor, um, a lot of folks don't necessarily notice his intensity and maybe because he, you know, maybe he's more comfortable leading now or maybe it's just because, you know, he knew that was the last game of the year and he wasn't going to be out there and he was trying to find another way to contribute. With regards to Reed, um, one thing that I've noticed and that I've read about Reed ever since we were recruiting him out of New Jersey is in some respects he's a special kid. He was involved in some leadership programs in his high school and some academic programs. And I remember last year when we really had that void when we were so young, had so few returning players playing similar roles than they played in the past. You know, Coach Al even called out last year that he was at times the most vocal player as a freshman. So I think Reed, you know, we could get into a whole other discussion not pertaining to sports about whether leadership is taught, whether it's earned, whether it's innate. But Davon Reed ever since he came on our radar as a recruit, has really seemed to have those uh, characteristics and those tendencies towards leadership. And I think it's really only natural that he'll continue to express them as, you know, he gains more experience, becomes more comfortable, and also as he's more productive on the court. It's, that's an interesting point you bring up because I can, I can tell you, um, doing the, the Q&As with other blogs, which we like to do on State of the U during the season. You know, I did a couple at uh, Notre Dame, NC State. I mean, almost every ACC blog participated, and I even got a couple out-of-conference ones. And they all asked me the same question, you know, and, and you could almost, like, read through, read between the lines. You know, I must confess, I do this too, maybe not with ACC teams, but with, with teams I'm not that familiar with. These these guys will ask me, hey, who's the under-the-radar guy? Uh, we know about McClellan. We know about Angel. They never mention Devon Reed. I think people look at him 
and they see nine points, four rebounds, and, and they forget that he missed time with an injury, and they forget that, you know, his first eight to game, eight to ten games were throwaways, at least offensively. And, and I, I think he he's flying under the radar nationally for, or even within the conference, as far as how good a player he is. You know, especially considering what a lockdown defender he is. And um, I'm with you and Josh K on this. I, I think he's going to be a big time player next year. And I think you're going to. When people do talk about Miami basketball, they're going to talk about him at the forefront a little more. Yeah, and the, yeah, Jay, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that his, uh, his you can't like quantify on the ball defense, right? When you when a guy comes out and guards a guy and makes him give up the ball, you, there's no stat for that, you know. And and it's something that you can't just look at a stat sheet and say, oh, he's got this point, this, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I agree. I mean, he and he had he had some tough moments defensively this year too. I mean, I I, I can't recall a guy getting uh, caught in the air for so many four point plays. <laughs> but I mean, that that kind of goes with the territory. That's kind of a lucky play. You never want to shoot, you know, foul a shooter. But I think he's so uh, close to his guy so many times that sometimes he kind of just draws those. But but I, I think the guy is going to be a special player next year. Um, and he okay, and he never really he, ne- he never really fully you know got back into his full offensive rhythm either this year. I mean, you can see he struggled a little bit at times in, in different games, and even in the NIT championship game, you know, he missed a couple of free throws, and he just he, you could see he's, he wasn't 100 percent back to where he was you know the year before. It, yeah, and it's funny his athleticism was starting to show by the end of the year. He had some tip dunks and. Uh, some nice plays, but he missed a one-handed dunk uh, in one of the games, I think against Richmond in the first half. Um, and, and, you know, you could just see that with a, just a little bit more timing, a little bit more explosiveness, a little more recovery. Uh, you know, he'll be able to make those kind of sensational plays and go along with everything he does that's so solid. Um, I want to go around the table, guys, and just uh, we're, we're going to get more into next year, but I want to reflect on this year a little bit more. Um, I'm going to start with Chris on this one. Uh, give me your favorite moment of the season and why. I would say the Richmond game. Um, I mean, there's so many times where we've seen that game happen uh, just for years now with the Miami basketball team. Uh, just kind of you know, play a lackluster game or one you feel that they should be in a lot more, uh, should be a lot closer game, um, and you feel that they're more athletic and a better team and they're just getting outplayed. And usually you kind of just see a comeback that, you know, gets thwarted and, you know, doesn't really end up working out. You know, I, I think back to the uh, when they were in the uh, tournament with uh, Frank Hayes and they made it almost – they almost came back against Texas, you know, where we were just kind of like, well, where was that all game? Uh, and to finally actually see them go over that and uh, make that, especially without Rodriguez and other guys stepping in. And then, you know, one of the biggest things I thought was great to watch this tournament – uh, with the fact that McClellan and Reed could just keep driving at the hoop uh, at will and just kind of realizing that in the second half of these games and saying, you know, I'm the better player, I'm more athletic, and I'm just going to go at it. And so to see them kind of grow from there, and especially in that Richmond game, to just go at it and know that, you know, sometimes we overthink it. If it's working, just keep going until it doesn't work again. And they kept going at it. And for me, it was just nice to kind of see us finally kind of break and get over that hurdle that we usually have such issues with, uh, especially for Miami basketball and trying to make those big comebacks in games when, you know, uh, you feel that you should have been up better already, and instead of kind of tanking it down, they uh, they were able to get over it. Absolutely, and we saw some of that in the ACC tournament against Notre Dame where they, they made that huge comeback but couldn't finish. Uh, Josh Frank, give me your all-time favorite moment from this season. 
Well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, so I'm glad you went to me before somebody else uh, said it. I think the, I think the Duke win is obviously uh, was a fantastic moment, not just for Miami fans, but basically for everyone other than Duke fans. Um, and, you know, as they go to the title game tomorrow, you know, obviously we didn't live up to the potential of the team that we saw that night, but it showed what we could be, and it showed what we could be if we play – you know, up to our ability, and it also showed what we have behind us in terms of a coaching staff that, you know, they, they certainly didn't have their greatest year, I would say, but that at times, you know, really shows what we have, that they are able to consistently outcoach Hall of Fame coaches on the floor. And, you know, it would have been nice to build off of it for this year, but as we go into next year with expectations higher, we should be able to build off of it that there isn't a single team that we play that we can't beat. Uh, excellent point. I mean, especially with the success Duke's having now, and I am choking down those words because I, I, I don't make any uh, bones about it. That I'm not a big fan of Duke. So, but yeah, excellent point. If we're if we could beat Duke, why can't we beat you know Green Bay or you know Eastern Kentucky? Josh K, give me your favorite moment from this year and why. Okay, well, I, I want to echo two things. I, want to, I think it was Charlie before who mentioned Kamari Murphy for next year, and, and that goes into the, the Duke game too, and, and I'm going to echo Josh, uh, Frank, on this. I think it was the Duke game, but I think, I think we lose like sight of why the Duke game was so successful. I know Angel had a big game, and I think Manu had a big game, but without you carrying there, Okafor goes for 30 points and 20 rebounds in like 10 blocks. He like triple doubles Miami. And I think next year – with uh, Kamari Murphy in there, uh, Jakiri will have some protection down low. So I think it's like, I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch next year because this was a complete team minus a real four that can bang down low. And I look at that Duke game as a prototype game for next year and that Miami will be able to compete with just about anybody based on not just that they have talent, but that they have balanced talent throughout the roster. And, and again, that Duke game was, was incredible. But let's be honest, without, without Jakiri in there, they get mauled. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what like Okafor's... Saw, uh, like you saw in the Louisville game. Jakiri gets hit in the face by Harrell. He's gone, and they, they Louisville scores like 10 points in two minutes and closes the gap. And then, and, I, and I'm going to expand on that. I'm going to expand on that point in a couple minutes, Josh. I, I want to ask Charlie real quick what his favorite moment was and why. Yeah, I'm going to go with the, with the Duke bandwagon here. And, and, and for me, it's more because... You saw an adjustment by the coaching staff and L to go, you know, slash the lane, drive the lane, go away from our more of our three ball game and really attack the rim a lot. And, you know, putting you know Newton in there and you know, letting them go, you know, basically a freshman guy who's basically never played in you know, a place like Cameron before, um, and really, you know, use his speed and his slipperiness to kind of get to the rim was just was amazing thing to watch and i think if you look at that game and say all right you know how did how did we win it was basically because the staff recognized that you know you know teams that you know are successful against duke because they can slash and and get to the rim easily um those are the ones that have have had success in the past and and that's that's to me when you look at that that game it, it basically signifies to me that the staff had had a great plan and the and the guys executed it beautifully. I mean, it was just really all around a, a perfectly executed game for us. Uh, excellent points as well. And and the Duke game, 
to me is a close second, but I'm going to tell you guys my favorite moment. Uh, my favorite moment was the semifinals of the NIT against Temple, and I'll tell you why, and I'm going to build off Josh K's point here. You lose Tanya Jakiri six minutes in, and my thought is, wow, we're in trouble. Temple proceeds to go on an 8-0 run immediately after Jakiri leaves the game, and, you know, earlier in the season, I have no doubt in my mind the team would have folded. Their backs were against the wall. I mean, they played hard all season long, and they usually played well. The Virginia game is an example. Uh, Notre Dame in the um, ACC tournament is another example. They usually would fight back. But without Jakiri, I, I just thought that team competed so hard. Uh, Devon Reed and Sheldon McClellan and, and you know, six foot five and six foot six guys were blocking shots of much taller players and the, the, the ferocious level they competed, especially in the second half, to get the win against Temple. Now, Temple is nowhere near as good as Duke, but I, I just thought that was my favorite moment because of just the, the significance of being able to, to win a game without Jakiri, who are, was you know easily their most consistent player and arguably their best player on the season, really showed me something. And um, if they can, you know, with Jakiri in the lineup, you know, God forbid without him next year, if they compete that hard, um, game in and game out, it's going to be special to me. All right, guys, um, I want to move on to the next topic, um, and this is going to be kind of more in in the looking ahead. Um, you know, I, I just want to kind of ask you guys what you think, you know, the biggest key to next season is uh, for this team. You know, they, they're coming off a decent year. Um, they accomplished some things, had a nice season. But uh, starting with uh, Josh Frank, what do you think is the key to next season, and, and, and what's your overall outlook on the team? How good do you think they can be next year? I think that the key for next year is going to be balance. It's something we've talked about um, both in the context of, of the players not having one particular player dominate the ball, but it's also going to be balanced in the way we play in our offense um, and otherwise. You know, we were um, somewhere probably in the top, I would say, maybe 25 to 30 in the country in three-point attempts. It's a bit skewed because we played – is extra NIT games, but, you know, we shot way more three-point attempts than our made percentage uh, correlated to. We didn't get much post-offense. You know, Tanya is a work in progress. Um, Sherman and Cruz Aceda like to float at the three-point line more than they like to bang down low. I think Murphy will help with that. Um, but I just think playing a more balanced game and giving us ways to win when the shots aren't falling is the key for next year. And I think our defense will improve. I think our rebounding will improve. But if we're still shooting 25 three-pointers a game, you know, we're going to be susceptible to losing games that we show. Yeah, excellent answer. Thank you, Josh. I'm going to move on next to Josh K. And I think, Josh K., I know we're going to go with this, but go ahead. What's your biggest key to next year? Uh, my biggest key easily is Kamari Murphy. I mean, that, that's, what they were, that's what I feel they were missing this year. It was like a real four that can – rebound, play defense, and, and just get dirty on the boards. I mean, you saw it a little bit from, from Sherman here and there. Um, Cruz, you see it as more of a finesse player, so I wouldn't expect him to, to really get, like, ugly down on the boards. But you, you watch Kamari Murphy's highlights at was Oklahoma State, and uh, he just looks like, you know, you get him the ball, he's going to dunk it. He's going he's gonna to block yeah, out. Yeah. He's going to do all the dirty work. Josh, I yeah. hate to call out uh, Damian Bravo. I don't know if he's going to end up listening to this or not. But for the Damian Bravos out there, they're going to be like, who's Kamari Murphy or Calamari Murphy? 
Calamari, yeah. Squid. Yeah, and just in case anybody actually listens to this, can can you tell us who Kamari Murphy is for the folks that don't know? Kamari Murphy is like a six nine, I think he's a two twenty or, or two thirty uh power forward from Oklahoma State he transferred, so we've got two years from him. Uh I mean he just looks like a like a dunking machine. You know, he he looks like a guy that's gonna bring it every game and he's gonna play tough and it's what we, we really needed down low this year. And we didn't have. You know, it was it's it was just, it was last year. Security by himself, and with McClellan and Reed kind of helping out a little bit, and uh, you know that that's that's what I see as the biggest key for next year is that we have that four, that that real four, not a stretch four, a guy that's going to score from you know point blank. He's going to score from inside. He's going to block shots. He's going to bang guys around. He's he's going to make it hell for people to come down the lane with your with Jakiri next to him. So instead of Jakiri having to like help constantly with nobody really around him. He's gonna have a little little friend there to to take up the slack, and I, I'm psyched about that because we haven't had. I mean, since that uh, ACC championship team, we haven't had you know a stacked roster like that with another guy that can and really just, help out down low. And Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Murphy's from Brooklyn, New York, and I believe he uh, had had looked long at Miami before coming to Oklahoma State, and I was right in the midst of the whole Nevin Shapiro mess when the basketball team was kind of caught up in that mess as well, and he decided to go to Oklahoma State. So, um, And this is a kid that, you know, I believe he was four stars coming out of high school, um, pretty well regarded, so um, definitely has talent. Um, for those wondering at home, all these references to Kamari Murphy, who he is, if you're not already aware. Um, let me move on next to Charlie. Charlie, what's your outlook for next year, and, and what are the keys? Well, I, I expect big improvement. If you go back to the, the you know two years ago when we won the ACC, we had a senior-laden team. Um, you know, basically had guys you know with, with six seniors, I think, in the uh, kind of the first six off the bench or so, but other than Shane. Um, so I think when you look at next year, you're going to have four seniors. You're going to have you'll have um, Manu, Devon uh, will be juniors. Um, and you're going to basically have a, a much more experienced team going into this. And I think the experience that the, the four freshmen got in the NIT and all those minutes they got against you know, quality opponents will pay huge dividends next year as well. So I think you put it all together. You know, you look at you know the success Els had over the years is usually when he's had a uh, a more experienced kind of you know uh, senior-driven leadership uh, type of an, of a, a squad in front of him. And I think this could be a very special year next year. So I think the key is basically just uh, taking what we what we what we learned this year. Um, it's it's no longer a you know hey we got to you know, build some chemistry you know find our identity whatever cliche you want to use. It's no longer a team like that. It's now a team that's that's kind of found that, and is now just how do we get better off of those those you know kind of you know bad experiences we had like the Green Bay's and Eastern Kentucky's of the world. You know how do we how do we you know learn to play, you know, at the top of our game in front of a thousand fans at the buck versus you know five thousand fans at the buck. You know because it's going to be those nights that's going to happen. It's just you know reality. And can we then? Hopefully you know, not. But hopefully not. But I agree with you. I think there's still going to be those nights, but hopefully not. I I I hope a buzz gets around this team next year, and and there's less of those than than typical. But but go ahead, Charlie. I mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, no. I think I think I think you're absolutely right. I think when you go back to two years ago, when we, when we started getting a, you know that that hot streak going, 
uh, all of a sudden the students started sleeping out looking for tickets. Um, you, you had, uh, I think, what, five or six sellouts that year. It was, it was an unbelievable year for attendance for us at the Buck. I think it was a record year, actually. Um, you could very easily see that happening again, and I think you should. I mean, it's an exciting, it's an exciting team. Um, I think when when you look at South Florida in general, they they typically will back a winner, and I think we will win and win uh, quite often next year. So I think that's going to be another key is that if you can get the fans in the state in the stadium in uh, in in the buck uh, and get the place rocking, um, it just starts to feed off itself. You saw that. Absolutely, uh, Chris Hayes. Wanted to get your input. What, what you think the biggest key for next year is, and um, what's your outlook overall? Chris, are you with us? All right, we'll we'll come back to Chris. I'm there. Sorry, I'm there. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. I'm here. I'm, Chris, I was muted. I didn't realize I was muted. Um, uh, yeah, okay. I was. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of good points that you guys all missed. Um, I would say that. Uh, my my expectations for this team, you know, while I would say that oh, it would be great to say ACC title um, and go to that point, I think that's tough to say. You know, I, I see them probably falling into that, you know, four or five seed or four or five in the ACC, kind of where about Louisville was this year. Um, but then again, using that leadership uh, to make a tournament run, um, whether it be in the ACC tournament and then obviously hopefully in the NCAA tournament. Uh, for for me, the, the key to them, um, and everybody's pretty much taken mine already, but thinking about it, just kind of how they are mentally, and going into next year, it's going to be a lot different, and uh, the fact that everybody's going to have these high expectations for them. You know, how one are they going to handle it? Is it going to be, you know, we know that everybody gives us high expectations, um, and we, we, we want to live up to them, and we're going to live up to them, and we're going to do everything we can, or is it just going to be like, yeah, you know, everybody's going to pump us up, tell us how good we are. We don't have to do a lot. Next thing you know, uh, you know, you're down a couple games uh, and you, you lose a couple you should win, and then it's then going from there and how to respond from those. And, you know, I think that's the toughest thing, especially for a team that's not necessarily used to winning. Um, and, again, as we've seen, had a couple uh, sleepers this year where they just came out real flat and never really recovered. Um, it's now taking that, learning from that, and knowing – all right, you have to show up pretty much every game uh, if you want to win, and especially when you start winning because then when you get into the games against the Georgia Techs of the world uh, and you're up and, you know, it happened a few years ago with the ACC team, you know, a Georgia Tech team they should have blown out. Um, you know, now you become the target, and instead of being, you know, the, the cliche, instead of being the hunted, you know, instead of being the hunter, now you're the hunted and how they react to that. So for me, I, I think it's going to be a lot of that mental hurdle and getting through that and dealing, one, with the expectations going into the year, and then when they first hit that first road bump of the year, how do they handle it and how do they move on uh, to keep a successful season? Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more, especially when you talk about games they should win, you know, the Georgia Tech game. Um, you know, we saw that in 2012 as well. Um, interesting, um, you know, how Miami sometimes can struggle with uh, games they're supposed to win. But but we'll see what next year brings. Uh, all right, uh, this is going to be my last topic before I give you all a chance to, to do some closing thoughts. So I'm going to start with Josh Kaufman here. Josh, who do you got in tomorrow's title game and why? Uh, I, I Wisconsin. Uh I know I know a lot of people are unhappy that Wisconsin is in there because it gives Duke a, you know, perceivably a, 
an easier run to the title. But, you know, I, I can't help but, in, like, uh, Wisconsin's senior team, they've got a lot of experience as opposed to Duke's uh, top three players, which are all true freshmen. And if you look at the box scores throughout the year, Okafor hasn't done as well against uh, top-tier centers like Kaminsky, that whatever Harrison called them. And uh, I think uh, I think Wisconsin wins it. I think they do. I think they, they, they beat Duke. And I think it's uh, Decker and Kaminsky especially uh, outduel Okafor and, and uh, Winslow, that the dirty player that smashes everybody. I like Wisconsin. <laughs> Josh Frank, who do you like tomorrow? I will also take the uh, the Badgers. You know, it's pretty easy to point to Duke and Wisconsin played head-to-head earlier this year, and Duke won uh, in Wisconsin. But what happened in December doesn't mean much. Uh, you know, almost four months later, a lot of the times, I think Wisconsin is a team that uh, gelled later in the year. I think that they're an experienced team. They've played some very tough tournament games. Um, you know, Duke hasn't really had an overly difficult, uh, you know, test in the sense of playing an equal team yet in this tournament. I mean, they've won every game by double digits at least, and I think when Wisconsin gets in there, um, the experience they've had playing Arizona, playing Kentucky teams that are loaded with NBA talent, I think will actually end up giving them uh, an advantage down the stretch if it's close. So I would take Wisconsin in a close game. I, I, I'm going to throw my two cents in here before I get to the other guys. I, I just got to say, you know, I, I, I have a chip on my shoulder about Duke anyway. I mean, I've been jealous of their program for a long time, so I, I'm not always the most partial person if you get on the topic of Duke. But somebody tell me how the hell Duke makes a Final Four run beating teams like Utah and Gonzaga, who are solid teams, don't get me wrong, especially Gonzaga is, is a great team. And Utah had a nice season. But Wisconsin has to play Arizona and Kentucky back-to-back and beat teams that are just higher caliber. And you look at Kentucky, that had to beat a red-hot Notre Dame team that just won the ACC title and then back that up with, with the game against Wisconsin. You know, whatever the reason, I, I tend to get conspiratorial about this stuff and people think I'm crazy. And, and I, I, I'm willing to admit I may be wrong about some of this stuff because I am biased. But I mean, I don't you know how. Them. Like, I I I do. I, I hate them, and I I didn't used to hate them. You know, growing <laughs> up in Jersey, I was a big Bobby Hurley fan. I used to root for Duke, so it's not like I have a predisposed bias. My bias is 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 formed over years of watching them get favoritism, and I don't understand how Duke gets what appears to me like a number one overall seed, and and as Josh said, uh, you know, has a much easier run and is playing teams that, you know, aren't quite as good as the Arizonas and Kentuckys of the world. I, I just don't get it. it. It perplexes and irritates me to no end that Duke is playing in the championship game and they haven't been challenged yet, and all the heavyweights are beating up on each other, <laughs> and somehow their path was, I mean, even if Villanova as a number one seed had made it, does anybody think Villanova was as good as even Notre Dame or, or Arizona or Kentucky? I mean... I just don't get how Duke manages to make it all the way to the championship game before they face, to me, what's one of the top five teams in the country. Anyway, let me move on. Charlie, who do you have tomorrow? <laughs> uh, just, just, to, just to buck the trend, I'm going to go with Duke, and I know it's going to piss you off, but I, I, I think Wisconsin is a, is, a, is a great and complete team. 
Um, but sometimes when you when you come off a big win like you did like they did against Kentucky, and that's kind of like it, maybe subconsciously that's kind of like their championship game in their minds. If they take the foot off the gas a little bit, Duke can sneak in there and, and take this thing from them. And that's to me, I think that's the big risk that Wisconsin has. Um, I don't think they will. I think you know ultimately maybe Wisconsin ends up pulling it off. But I think Duke's got a pretty good shot of catching them with their guard down a little bit here. But I, I agree with you. I, I wonder. I just wonder who's going to guard Tyus Jones. That's my other problem. I know Wisconsin to me is a better. Wisconsin's a better team top to bottom. I just think that Tyus Jones is a matchup nightmare for them. But, but go ahead, Charlie. No, I just think I think it's it's going to be a, a very close game, and I think it's going to come down to, you know, did Wisconsin, you know, does does Wisconsin have the, the quote unquote you know cliche letdown game? And it's it's very well possible they could, and I think that's where Duke could maybe sneak away with this one. Yeah. Yeah. Part of part Appreciate. of me says part of me wants them to win too because yeah, part of me wants them to win only because you know it's ACC. I want the ACC to, to reign supreme. And partially because you know we beat them by 16 at Cameron, I want to be able to say we beat the national champions. So, um, go Duke tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I can't agree with you there. But I, can I, everybody what, just go watch the, the, the? Can everybody just go watch the clip of Coach K passing out on the on the floor just right now? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I tell you, I. I, I've had a couple chances in my life to meet coaches and, and be in the same room as coaches. Not as many as, you know, maybe some other people out there, but Coach K was the only one that, like, actually had me, like, intimidated to be in his presence. Um, maybe it was because the one time I was in a room with Coach K, it had been after Miami beat them by 30, and he looked pretty pissed off. But um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Chris Hayes, who do you have tomorrow and why? Uh, I'm going to have to go with Duke, and for the same reason of the letdown game. Um, I think Wisconsin is just, I mean, that just felt like their national title. And, yes, they're an experienced team, and, you know, they'll, they'll probably rebound or they'll, they'll, they'll rebound from that game a lot better than most other teams would. But, I mean, so much energy and effort went into that game, and especially with the way that, you know, they're celebrating at the hotel, you know, and things like that, and, and it'll give Duke a little bit of a chip on their shoulder of just like, you know, nobody crowned you national champions yet. So I, I expect a, a Duke team to come out and uh, kind of hit them hard. And, and, Jerry, to talk about uh, what this Duke team kind of reminds me of, and they're not as senior-laden as the uh, 2010 national title team, but uh, had a lot of that similarities where they kind of just drew a very easy uh, side of their bracket. Um, again, you had that let, let me, let, me crazy... let me cut you off for a second and just say, God, Thank you for bringing that up because I have, on numerous occasions, talked about that 2010 team as the worst championship team in all sports ever with the easiest draw ever. Yeah, continue on, Chris. But it was just one of those where, you know, you had that favorite Kentucky team with John Wall who gets upset by West Virginia. Um, You know, they kind of worked their way into the Final Four with a pretty easy schedule. Uh, through the tournament uh, with Nova losing to St. Mary's that year. And then, um, you know, you get into the, the the final four with kind of an easy win against West Virginia, you know, and unfortunately at Gordon Hayward, uh, about two inches off, you know, from the backboard going in, uh, wins that national title. And, I mean, I just I see a lot of similarities to that and just that team of, you know, just kind of had an easier run. And, for you know, looking at the two teams and saying who's fresh or going into this game, 
I mean, I would definitely say Duke. You know, again, they, they haven't really been pressed too much uh, through this tournament. Um, and, you know, I, they, they're still built to win. And Coach K, uh, you know, he, he's that guy. He's just kind of that, got that villain to him. But, you know, he knows how to coach. And the way it's been going this year, um, just between uh, Urban Meyer winning a national title and me kind of having to respect him because he has to win, Bill Belichick winning a Super Bowl, realizing – He's pretty good, and i got to respect him, even though I don't really like him. And I feel like Coach Krzyzewski is just going to do the same to just make this a really tough year for me having to actually like coaches I never really oh, liked. So it's, Chris, it's, it's, Chris, I'm, I'm Chris, I had to, it. Chris, I had the same conversation with uh, Josh Kay on the phone a couple hours ago. This is just like the most evil sports year ever to me. I, 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 can I just, you know, can I, I just I, add one I, thing? I John, Shire, John Shire, senior year. He had a hundred more free throw attempts than Duran Scott did his senior year. Now, if you're going to tell me Duran, Josh Hire shot almost all of his shots were three pointers. How, how in the hell did he have 221 three, uh, free throw attempts and Duran Scott had 113? You guys watch Miami basketball. How is it even possible? How is that even in a realm of reality? I, I can't explain anyone. I, I, can, can, can somebody tell me how John Shire had 221 free throw attempts? His senior year, it's because he made those great faces. Two hundred and hundred and twenty more than Durant Scott. I mean, I, I watched some of those games, and it felt like Shire was like just like you know, like every hand check was like getting him to the line. The only thing a Duke fan would say, and I'm not a Duke fan, but I'm just gonna play devil's advocate, is that they had a lot of leads late in games, yeah, and they Miami. would get the ball in Shire's hands. But still, still, yeah, I, Miami could change Durant Scott. Yeah, I would agree with you most years, but if you compare that last year, Miami was the dominant team in the ACC. It, it didn't happen. How did he have 221 free throw attempts? How, how is it well, remotely possible? I, I will say this: it's a little less painful for me when, you know, when Tyus Jones or Julio Okafor get to the free throw line than when um, John Sy, Shire, Greg, what was the guy's name? Greg Zubek. Greg Paulus. Oh. No, Zubek Brian was Zubek. Big seven. Oh, yeah, Brian Zubek. I, I just felt that 2010 team was, like, awful. I, they weren't awful by, by any stretch of the imagination. They were an NCAA tournament team. But in terms of a national championship team, I thought they were awful. I, I just didn't really see. There was hardly any a speck of NBA talent outside of uh, Kyle Singler. Uh, you know, and they just they, they, they got calls. And, the, and as Chris, you know, took the words right out of my mouth, they had such a favorable draw. They just they just paraded in with like the easiest possible. John Tyre had John Tyre had twenty five more free throws than Julio Okafor did this year. All right, let's get back on track, guys. <laughs> Come on. I, I, all right, on, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stop with the Duke hating, but I'm just to Chris's point. This is the most evil sports year in my opinion. I I hate the Patriots. I hate Ohio State, and I hate Duke. I mean, you know, if the Red Sox win the World Series. Somehow this year too, just like complete the, you know, <laughs> the quartet. I, I can't think of like a more. I mean, other than like Florida State in football winning, Florida State would have actually annoyed me more than than Ohio State, but by not much. I mean, or Notre Dame maybe even. But what what a what a despicable sports year if Duke wins. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a Kentucky fan. I just just something about Duke gets under my skin. Um, anyway. We've uh, rambled on this subject for quite a long time. I want to give you guys a chance to throw some closing thoughts in. Anything you guys want to talk about in the world of sports or elsewise or 
you know, Miami basketball. I'm going to start with Josh Frank on this one. Go ahead, Josh. Where's yours? Are, are we done relitigating teams and, and years? Want to go back to, like, the Romans or uh... – <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to rant about anything you want because I sure have. Well, I'm going to stick to Miami basketball on this one. Uh, we've talked about next year. Let's talk a little bit beyond that, uh, just not to get too much into depth on it, but one thing that is going to be key for this staff going forward um, is recruiting for the 2016 class. We lose uh, Angel Rodriguez and Sheldon McClellan after next year. We lose Tanya Jakiri. We lose Cruz Uceda. We have four scholarships in the 2016 class, and it's essentially three starters and someone that I would expect would be a contributor next year. And so far we've filled none of those slots, and we need to work on that. Um, I would expect that the makeup of that class would be at least two big men and a point guard, and then that fourth scholarship would be a bit of a wild card. Um, What's interesting for that class is that Florida, which is not traditionally an overly strong basketball state, and especially uh, not south of the Orlando area, certainly um, has three top 50 big men, in the state, uh, Juwan Durham out of the Tampa area, Dewan Hewell, who's local out of Miami, and Tony Bradley out of the Orlando area. And the staff is working hard on all three. The issue is that, as always, when you're dealing with players of that caliber, you're competing against not only Florida and Florida State, which in some respects may be more attractive programs to in-state kids, but you're also hearing schools like UNC, Kansas, um, Duke, et cetera, getting thrown out there. And those are going to be battles that uh, we we certainly have to win one because the only returning big men on that roster as of now, there's always, of course, the potential for transfers, et cetera. But the only returning big men on our 2016 team right now are Omar Sherman and Kamari Murphy. And not only would that be a thin roster up front just in terms of numbers, but in terms of height, I believe both guys are listed at 6'8". You know, those freshmen, whoever we get, there's going to be a role for a third and even a fourth big to play significant minutes. So look for the staff to focus very hard, not only on those Florida kids, but to scour the country, to scour internationally, uh, to potentially scour transfer and, and even junior college ranks again to find someone who can come in and contribute significantly in that year because it will be similar to, to this year in the respect that we will have a backcourt uh, with guys like Reed, Newton, LeConte, et cetera, that will be potentially significantly better than the front court, and the backcourt will be an NCAA-caliber backcourt. So let's see if we have the front court to match it when we get to 2016. Absolutely. Uh, Charlie Strauss, I'm going to go to you next. Give me your closing thoughts. Yeah, just to, you know, picking up on Josh's uh, comments. I mean, you know, I know the staff has is, has made a, a top priority of you know Duan Hewell out of uh, Miami, New Orleans, um, as well as Bradley and Durham. And, and what's interesting is that you know incoming freshman Anthony Lawrence Jr. Um, you know knows both uh, Bradley and Durham quite well and has played uh, you know against them in high school quite a bit. So. You know, maybe we can use that. You know, between him and his father, who's you know the coach of that is is Lakeland team, maybe uh, can use that angle as well to try and uh, convince one of those guys to come on down. But absolutely, you know, those three guys are top priority. You know, mission number one for the staff. Um, 
closing one of those or two of those guys would be phenomenal. It would send a message out there that uh, we can, the staff can recruit, you know, a top 50 caliber kind of kid, um, especially a big man, uh, which are so scarce these days. Uh, but I think that's one that when you look at, you know, the 16 class, you know, next year is going to be a special year, I think. But, you know, keeping that momentum going, that's going to be the key to it. All right, thanks, Charlie. Definitely, yeah, definitely worth keeping an eye on. Uh, it's going to be a huge season for, for recruiting, as you and Josh went out. Uh, Chris, give me your final thoughts. I'm going to move away a little bit from the Miami basketball and go back to a little bit of just referees and late-game calls and just kind of how, you know, I think it's something the NCAA needs to look at and realize, again, that these guys are human. They are trying to do the best they can. Um, but seem to be affecting games, you know, that can be program changers. Uh, and it's one where, you know, they need to do a better job of keeping these guys accountable. Uh, you know, working in the college football industry for a couple of years, um, and, you know, most of it's just kind of like, you know, you tell a ref about it and things like that, and you, know, they, you tell their higher-ups, and they're like, yeah, we'll look into it, and they don't do much about it. So it's just one where it's just kind of unfortunate because, you know, everybody's putting so much work into this and everybody's trying to win. And, uh, you know, you have all these different people and these whistles uh, being called uh, just kind of either at unnecessary time, inconsistent times, and where it ends up being a bigger story. And it just seems like there could be, you know, with the enough technology that we have, you know, and not to make this a stop at every time look at the monitor, but put an extra guy on the sideline. He looks at the replay, whistles over and says, you know, Let's make this easy, and, you know, if he sees that there's an issue or overturn it, overturn it right away and let's go so we keep the momentum of the game while also keeping it fixed. Uh, you know, I don't see there's any reason why they couldn't add a fourth official to these NCAA games. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, there. You know, there's always the argument that, you know, it's officiated, the officials are human, mistakes are going to be made, it's part of the game, blah, blah, blah. But if they can get it as close to being as, um, you know, eliminating some of these errors would be fantastic, in my opinion, too. And, and they have expanded replay and done some things that, you know, have helped out. So they're they're off to a good start. Um, Josh Kay, your closing thoughts. Uh, I'm excited about the future of the program. I think, you know, obviously the recruiting is going to be a big deal. Can they can they replenish the roster after Jakiri? Um I mean, that's you know, we need a replacement for him because we saw what it was like this year when Curry wasn't on the court. It was it was a disaster. So, I mean, I, you know, I mean, not not a complete disaster. They had, had a good game against Richmond and all and played well in the final game the NIT. But overall, we need that, that big-time center out there to, to really protect the rim. And, you know, as everyone was saying, there's, there's – uh, a bunch of guys and tough lot out there, and uh, you know Miami's got to get at least one of them, maybe two, and, and find somebody. Because uh, looking forward, I mean next year I feel like it's going to be a, an excellent year, but looking forward after that, I think we need to really make a splash on recruiting. Yeah, I, I agree. It's about sustainability. Um, I, I'm going to close the show now, guys, with two thoughts. Um, uh, first, quickly, I like the 30 second shot clock. Uh, I, I like pushing the no-charge zone even further out away from the basket. I think, one, the 30-second shot clock will allow for more offense and speed up the game a little bit. And uh, I've never been a big fan of the flop slash charge uh, that became has become a big part of college basketball. 
ranting one more time against Duke. We all know who made that famous. <laughs> but I'm going to stop with the Duke. I'm going to stop with Duke, Kate, for my last closing thought. Uh, for those that did stop by and listen today, uh, we're going to try and make the podcast more regular. I think it's fun. Uh, we have a lot of voices on this site, and um, it's going to be cool. And we're going to talk a lot of football, too. Uh, I'm guessing that the traffic that we generate from this podcast is not going to be too great because Miami basketball never gets people jumping out of their seats to listen. Um, but coming off of the run they just made, I thought it was a, a very necessary episode. And I think we all had fun talking about them today, and hopefully you guys had fun listening. But we're going to talk a lot of football, too, this year. So we're going to bring the podcast back, and I hope you guys all listen. And uh, Josh, Josh, uh, Chris, and Charlie, thanks, guys, for hopping on here on short notice. Uh, I look forward to talking to you guys more. And thanks, everybody, who listened. Take care, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry.